Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to the true crime podcast you can binge on your lunch break. My name is Joy. I am a school librarian, obsessive researcher, and lifelong true crime nerd. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new case to dissect. We'll focus on the facts, giving exposure to some of the lesser-known stories in the true crime world. You never know what you might learn. This is Bite Size Crime. Welcome back to Bite Size Crime. This week, I'm bringing you a story of a young woman who had her whole life ahead of her, taken too soon by a man who felt he couldn't see another way out. This episode includes graphic descriptions and discusses sensitive topics, so listener discretion is advised. Alexandria Costell grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. She was an active kid who loved the outdoors. In her teens, Allie became quite the athlete, competing in track and field and joining her school's cheerleading team and golf team. Academically, Allie was also a star. She was a leader on campus, participating in the Youth in Government Club and becoming a member of the National Honor Society. After graduating from Lindbergh High School in 2016, Allie decided to attend the University of Mississippi, majoring in marketing in the School of Business Administration. During her time at Ole Miss, Allie became a founding member of the Iota Omega chapter of the Alpha Pi sorority. She also founded the Ole Miss Golf Club, where she served as president. In the summer of 2019, 21-year-old Allie was getting ready to start her senior year. Instead of going home to St. Louis for the summer break, Allie decided to stay in Mississippi and take a few classes. She liked the more relaxed schedule, which gave her extra time to spend with her friends before senior year began in earnest. On the evening of Friday, July 19th, Allie decided to head down to the Oxford Square, a popular historic district packed with shops, galleries, restaurants, and bars. Located just a few miles from the Ole Miss campus, The square was always bustling with activity, especially on a Friday night. That night, Allie was spotted outside Funky's, a trendy New Orleans-style bar in the heart of the square. She got an Uber and headed back to her apartment, where her roommates heard her coming in a little after midnight. The next morning, Allie was gone. Around 10.30 a.m. on Saturday, July 20th, an officer with the Lafayette County Sheriff's Department was conducting a routine patrol on the north side of Sardis Lake, about 30 miles from the Ole Miss campus in Oxford. It was a quiet, remote area, popular with locals and college students who liked to boat and fish when the water was high and ride their ATVs in the lake bottom when the water was low. As the deputy approached the fishing camp at Buford's Ridge, he immediately noticed something that stood out from the peaceful landscape, the body of a young woman lying next to a picnic table on the lake shore. The deputy called in the discovery, and soon the area was swarmed with law enforcement. They closed off the scene and began canvassing the area. Along the side of the dirt road lay a woman's purse. Inside, detectives found a driver's license and student ID belonging to Alexandria Costell. On Sunday, July 21st, the Lafayette County Sheriff's Department released a statement confirming that the body of 21-year-old Allie Costell had been found in Harmontown, Mississippi. 
they did not release any further details, saying only that it was an active investigation and that they were following several leads. Multiple agencies were pulled in to assist on the case, including the Mississippi Bureau of Investigations and the Mississippi Crime Lab, the Oxford Police Department, and the University of Mississippi Police Department. Allie's body was sent to the state crime lab for an autopsy. As soon as detectives identified Allie, they began reaching out to her friends at Ole Miss, asking them about Allie's last whereabouts and who she might have been with at the time she disappeared. One name kept popping up, Brandon Thiesfeld. Allie and Brandon had met in the fall of 2016. Both were students in the School of Business Administration at Ole Miss. During the time they knew each other, the two had a complicated on-again, off-again relationship, one that seemed to have stronger feelings on Allie's side than on Brandon's. Brandon was described by multiple people who knew him as manipulative and misogynistic, and several of Allie's friends have mentioned how she would cry over the way he treated her. But Allie wanted to see the best in Brandon, and he kept her on the hook for years. As investigators dug into Allie and Brandon's relationship, they also pulled surveillance footage from the Oxford Square, hoping to catch a glimpse of Allie on the night she disappeared. Combined with the text messages pulled from Allie's Apple Watch, detectives began to piece together a timeline. Although Allie disappeared in July of 2019, the trouble really began several months earlier. In April, Allie texted Brandon a picture of an inconclusive pregnancy test. Anxious about what this could mean for the future, Allie told Brandon that she wanted to talk to him in person and discuss what to do next. But Brandon didn't want to talk. He was clear that having a child was not in his plan. In a message dated April 14th, he said, quote, I am serious. No kid at all. It will ruin my life. He sent several messages along that vein. This was Allie's mess to deal with. He would not have any part of it. Over the next three months, Allie continued to reach out to Brandon, hoping he would be willing to discuss the issue. In early July, she texted him to say that she had been bleeding and was worried that something was wrong. Allie's messages to Brandon were frequent and ran the gamut of emotions, sometimes anxious, sometimes playful, sometimes angry and frustrated. Finally, on the night of July 19th, Brandon texted Allie and told her he wanted to meet up. This is where the surveillance footage picks up. At 11.52 p.m., Allie is seen walking out of a local bar in the square named Funkies. Wearing a blue dress and white jacket, Allie stops for just a moment to give someone a hug before heading east down Jackson Avenue. Five minutes later, Allie meets her Uber driver at the corner of Jackson and Courthouse Square, outside Rooster's Blues house. The drive home would take about 10 minutes. According to Allie's roommates, she made it back to the apartment just after midnight. But she didn't stay long. According to cell phone records, Brandon picked up Allie at 1.28 a.m., presumably so they could talk about the possible pregnancy. Not long after that, Allie and Brandon were seen on a security camera at a gas station near Sardis Lake, just a few miles from Buford's Ridge. The drive from Oxford to that area of the lake is dark and remote. Once Allie and Brandon turned off the main road, there would have been very few homes and no streetlights. The paved road turns to dirt before it ends at the old fishing camp on the edge of the water. 
Someone in the area later reported that they had taken their dog out sometime between 2.15 and 2.30 a.m. when they heard multiple gunshots from somewhere nearby. This timeline would make sense. If Allie and Brandon left her apartment around 1.30, it's about a 45-minute drive to Buford's Ridge. Investigators believe that Brandon took Allie up to the fishing camp, and once there, he shot her at least nine times. Ballistics indicated that he was sitting across from Allie at the picnic table when he fired the first shot. He then came around the table and shot her multiple times in the back as she lay on the ground dying. He then left her there and returned to Oxford. All day Saturday, Brandon hopped around Oxford, hanging out with friends like it was any other day. At one point, they even decided to go bowling. No one in Brandon's life suspected that anything was wrong but Lafayette detectives were on his trail. Later that afternoon, they called Brandon and asked to speak with him about Allie. Brandon had multiple excuses for why he couldn't talk, but he promised detectives that he would come down to the station first thing on Monday morning. When he failed to show up, investigators filed for an arrest affidavit and started tracking his cell phone and credit card activity. Brandon's cell data showed that he was on his way out of town, headed north towards Memphis, Tennessee. Lafayette County issued a be-on-the-lookout for Brandon's pickup truck, a black Ford F-150 with a vanity license plate that said, Take it. At 9.30 a.m. on Monday, July 22nd, Tennessee police spotted Brandon's truck at a gas station in Memphis. Within minutes, Brandon was surrounded by law enforcement and taken into custody. Authorities later told reporters that at the time of his arrest, Brandon was wearing clothes that were stained with blood, and officers recovered a weapon from inside his truck, a 40 caliber handgun consistent with the shell casings found by Ali's body. Brandon was briefly held in Memphis before being transferred back to Mississippi and booked into the Lafayette County Detention Center without bond. He was charged with murder in the death of Ali Costal. A month later, instead of requesting bond, Brandon's defense attorneys asked the court for a psychiatric evaluation to determine if their client was competent to stand trial and assist in his own defense. They also requested an evaluation of his sanity at the time of the alleged murder, claiming that new information had come to light. The judge granted the request. A grand jury was convened in Lafayette County, where evidence such as the surveillance footage and cell phone data was presented. Brandon's internet history included searches on how to get away with certain crimes, how to tie people up, and hollow point ammunition. His social media feed was also disturbing and graphic. Prosecutors then brought forth a letter Brandon wrote to his parents on the weekend of Allie's murder. The letter, which was discovered in his apartment, included statements such as, quote, I've always had terrible thoughts fueled by cocaine and alcohol. And I think this is the end for me. I'm either going to prison or going to die. I know I'm going to get caught. It appears that Brandon felt he had no way out. If Allie was pregnant, it would ruin his life. Two days before he met up with Allie, she had texted him a picture of her stomach. It was then that he said he wanted to talk. Later, Brandon would tell his attorneys that he didn't believe Allie was really pregnant, but his actions say otherwise. He had been planning this for weeks. On August 30th, 2019, 
the grand jury indicted Brandon Thiesfeld for capital murder. A month later, he entered a not guilty plea. When asked if he killed Allie, Brandon remained silent. Over the next two years, the case moved through the court system, delayed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Finally, in August of 2021, Brandon Thiesfeld, facing a possible death penalty, stood before a judge and changed his plea to guilty. In exchange, his charge was reduced to first-degree murder. This time, when asked if he killed Allie, Brandon said yes. He addressed the court, saying, quote, There is no excuse for my actions. I have asked God for forgiveness, and I hope one day that you will find it in your hearts to forgive me. He then apologized to the Costal family, quote, I am sincerely sorry for the pain I've caused while taking Allie from you. Brandon was sentenced to life in prison. He will be eligible for conditional release when he turns 65. Sadly, Allie's belief in Brandon's goodness led to a tragic end. District Attorney Ben Creekmore summed it up in a statement to 48 Hours, quote, I can't imagine how there could be any way possible that Allie could have known that Brandon Thiesfeld was capable of doing what he did to her. If she had any idea that this is what this person was capable of, she would never have gotten in that truck. I think love can blind us to certain things that other people can see that we can't. Allie's family and friends are determined to remember her bright smile and kind heart. A small memorial has been set up on the picnic table at Buford's Ridge, rocks arranged in the shape of a heart, and messages left by those who loved her. Allie's story ended in tragedy, but yours doesn't have to. If you or someone you know is in an abusive relationship, please contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline at one 800 799 7233 or text START to 88788. Help is available 24-7. It is free and confidential. Thank you for listening to Bite-Sized Crime. This episode was written, researched, and edited by me, Joy Scaglione. Theme music is by Arts Guitars. For episode transcripts, pictures, and sources, please visit bitesizedcrimepod.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bitesizedcrimepod. If you have a suggestion for a case I should cover, please email me at bitesizedcrimepod at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Network.